the gospel as this narrative arc that we are tied into. As Christians, like we're saying that God is writing us into this huge story, um, that we're just a small piece of this overarching story of all history um, and all that is yet to come as well. You know, one of the things we have to watch out for is cliches or words or phrases that shape our thinking that become so familiar and really so cliche that they lose all of their meaning. I think one of those phrases is Jesus is Lord, right? We hear that so much. We've said that so much. It's one of the great anthem phrases of the church. But what does it really mean? To the early Christians, they were putting their lives on the line when they said Jesus is Lord. What they were saying is something like this, Jesus is the real Caesar. He's the real emperor. He's the Lord. We have to understand that Jesus is more than advice, just how to live the best life. One of the values of Jesus Smart, the podcast, is that Jesus Christ knows how life works best, practically speaking. And of course, he does. Dallas Willard says that one of the things that made Jesus so attractive is how he empowered practically the human condition. But we must remember that beyond that, higher than that, he is Lord. And the good news is about something which has happened, which is already changing the world and will ultimately change the world in a quantum-like change. Jesus referred to it as the restoration of all things, a new earth, a new heaven, frankly, the complete merging of heaven and earth. A tight but loaded episode today with Trinity and Matt. I'll introduce them in just a moment. My name is Brian Del Turco. You're listening to Jesus Smart, the podcast. This is episode number 95. You see, my friend, the good news, the gospel, if you will, another word that's become so common in our thinking that we don't even really know what it means. The word gospel means good news, but it's even more than that. It's a royal announcement of good news that there is a new king. That's how the early Christians would have heard it. Euangelion, the Greek word, is a royal announcement. We translate it as good news. It was good news when there was a new emperor on the throne in the Roman Empire. The Roman citizens would hear that as good news. Well, the good news of the gospel is that there is a new king, God has broken into history in a new and powerful way. He has come to fulfill that Jewish expectation and really the the deep-seated expectation of all of humanity, God back as king. And we are now invited into the Christ story, listen to this, to rule and reign with him as vice regents on his behalf. He is sovereign, but he invites us back into dominion. Starting right now, right here, right where you're at, just start and build out from where you're at, ultimately reaching a crescendo in the age to come, the new heavens and the new earth, which will be catalyzed fully by the second coming of Caesar Christ. Can we just call him that? The Lord, the King of all. This new age is 
this is the real new age, by the way, is breaking across the horizon, sort of like the light on the horizon begins to glow before the full sunrise that is Christ's coming. We are already seeing the light and we are to live in the light of that new day that's on the way, the new heavens and the new earth. I'm really pleased to have Trinity Harrison Clark with us today. She works with college students in campus ministry. There will be more of her bio on the inside of the conversation. You'll hear more about her. Also, Matt Raines, a friend, a pastor, and I would say a penetrating kingdom thinker. He is on tap to provide some uh, color kingdom commentary. How about that? Jesus is about ultimate human development. Young adults, whom Trinity works with, college-age students, but also as adults who are beyond college age, we continue, my friend, to commence and to graduate into new seasons, new places, new spaces, new levels in our in our development as a kingdom apprentice with Christ. It's much more than a gospel of sin management. Can we please get beyond that reduced, really inadequate understanding of what the good news is? How can I manage my sin? How can I enter into a churchianity and make it into heaven someday? We are now kingdom agents. We are vice regents under King Jesus. Well, let's get to it, Trinity and Matt, and we're going to pull away in the middle of the conversation and hear from N.T. Wright, world-renowned New Testament scholar, through the miracle of the fair use of copyright law in the United States. N.T. Wright is on the podcast today, okay? Here's Trinity and Matt. We are here today with Trinity Harrison Clark. She's a campus minister, graduate of Kent State University with a degree in biology. Her testimony is that Jesus Christ has transformed her worldview, given her a passion to create real change in life. She wants to help college students realize and reach their full potential in Jesus so that after graduation, they will transform the world around them in their career fields. And we are going to have some edges we're pursuing today with Trinity. We also have Matt Rains with us today who's a pastor providing color commentary. Jesus is the ultimate human development person. He's the ultimate life coach as well as our savior and redeemer. And we're going to make the case today that, look, when you come to Jesus, it's not just BIP, but in pew until we go to heaven someday, but that it's a call. It's a summons to to yoke with him and to cultivate his, his world, to work with him in his kingdom, his story, his dream. Trinity, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Very good. It's very good to have you with us. What are 18 to 24 year olds looking for today? And is it is it that much different from older adults as well? I don't really think so. I think that working with college students, the questions that I'm dealing with them are often a lot of times the same questions that the adults in the church that I'm working with are asking too. Okay. They're asking, how does my faith impact my work, specifically for college students, my studies, how I'm acting on campus, what I'm doing. More for the older adults, it's how do I raise my children well, like with faith incorporated into it. But they're all really coming out of the base of the same understanding of like, what does it mean to actually be a Christian? Like, how do I live life outside of Sunday morning as a Christian? Yeah, one of the things that Dallas Willard says is that what makes Jesus Christ so attractive is that he empowers the human condition. 
the call that Jesus gives us, is it also a call that here's how life works best? I think so. <laughs> um, here's I know, how it works best, like relationally, financially, yeah, sexually, like you know, Jesus, work. He has so much to say about all of those things. Yeah. Um, like he's not just walking around telling people to go back to the synagogue. Um, he's like, open up your house, bring people in, eat dinner with them, give taxes, like all of these things um, that you would think somebody who's super religious, like would be in the church all the time, you know? Um, but Jesus is out walking around, walking around the Sea of Galilee, talking to fishermen, what you wouldn't expect from him. More out in the practical places yeah. of life, sort of the marketplace of ideas, the marketplace of, of human experience. You know, there's something today, some of us are talking about things like narrative wars that, you know, our adversary, Satan, is telling a story. Mm-hmm. And he's spinning a pretty good yarn about what is life and how does it work best. But also, uh, we have a what we believe is a superior story coming from the creator through Jesus, right? Yes. Do you find that college students are, are struggling with these quote-unquote narrative wars? Like, what is the best story to live by? What's, you know, not only, like the big story and then the story of my life. Yeah, I think that if we're thinking about the gospel as this narrative arc um, that we are tied into. Okay. Um, narrative and then, arc. As Christians, like we're saying that God is writing us into this huge story, um, that we're just a small piece of this overarching story of all history um, and all that is to yet to come as well. Now, wait a minute. You're saying that salvation is more than just, quote unquote, getting saved, being discipled, whatever that might mean to us going to church so that you can go to heaven someday? Way more than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a larger story arc that you yes. say that we're written into. Yes. Okay. Now that's that's pretty fascinating. Continue, uh, <laughs> if if you would. Yeah. So if we're looking at the gospel overall as uh, a story of God's love for us, um, yes, on an individual level, but also as God as the Trinity um, is a community of love that's outflowing um, so much so that it into creation um, that human in the earth and water was all formed out of um, that then as sin entered the world that God had started this plan of this love story of yes I know all of this bad stuff is going to continue to happen um, but I want so much to be in community with these humans that I created um, that I'm going to do anything to continue to draw them into my story, to see that the world around them, that they might see all this evil and this hurt happening um, and might think of themselves as being able to save themselves from those sorts of things. I'm going to continuously going after the one um, so that they can see my story and live a so much better life because of that. Mm. So you're suggesting that the community of the Godhead, this incredible love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, you know, interesting that your name is Trinity, isn't it? I'm (laughs) sure you've caught some jokes in the church world about that, right? (laughs) We were kind of joking before about showing up on campus and saying, look, I'm the campus minister. My my name is Yahweh, so just get over it. (laughs) That communion, that love, that deference, that honor between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see in Genesis that God says, let us... Mm-hmm. apparently a reference to the Trinity, make man in our image, male and female, he created them and he gave them dominion, mm-hmm. right? Over the creation. God is sovereign. He calls us to exercise dominion. So are we being, in a sense, invited back into the, the fellowship, the communion of the Godhead? Yeah, we're being With back the invited Father, Son, into the Holy story. Spirit. 
how much God cares about the world, how much God cares about us individually. He is inviting us, letting us receive this free gift of grace and freedom and forgiveness that when we take it, like we are inherently back into the story. We are then opened up, our eyes are then opened up to see the story that we had been missing. So do you feel that young adults need something really compelling? They don't need just to hear that, look, your sins, you're, you're, you're unholy. <laughs> your sins need to be forgiven so that you can secure your eternal destiny. In the meantime, their whole life is before them and they're kind of wired to live it, right? Mm-hmm. With great meaning and impact. So in, in some of the ways we present the gospel, are we selling it short? Are we not offering a compelling enough story or narrative to them to keep them? to really seize their uh, fascination? Yeah, I think that when we minimize the gospel message down into say this prayer, be forgiven now, then after you die, then you'll be with God forever, is so just not what the Bible says. The Bible argues so much against that. Paul writes all these letters to the people who are the early church saying, yes, like you are the body of Christ. So start acting like it today. Start doing something about it right now. Um, So when we are talking to uh, college age students now and we're saying, oh, say this prayer, be forgiven, go to heaven when you're dead. They're like, well, I don't even know what I'm going to eat next week because I don't have enough (laughs) money to feed myself. And so it's like, how are we as Christians so focused on this spiritual, unembodied uh, part of ourselves and not focusing enough now on the physical body that God has blessed with us with uh, here on this earth to live a story? Yeah, absolutely. Matt is a pastor. And Matt, help us just for a few minutes with the this big narrative arc that, that Trinity is, is talking about, that when we come to Christ, we're written into a larger story. We've, you and I have had conversations before about N.T. Wright. He's been very helpful with us. What is your uh, perspective about, about what, what Trinity's saying? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think um, uh, the way I, I'm processing everything that, that I'm hearing is at one level, um, whether you're old or young, what, what is true about us as humans, right, is uh, Bart Campolo, Tony Campolo's son, said there are three things that everyone needs. Um, Now, to be fair with Bart, um, he's a secular humanist now, but he has sort of distilled Christianity's worldview at some level into three things. Okay. Uh, And that is everyone needs a story, everyone needs a code, and everyone needs a group to belong to. A code. A code. Yeah. What is a code? What does well, he mean? Well, see, I think a code is how do I live? How do I... I see. What do I do next? Right? A narrative gives us purpose and like direction. a code of ethics or a code of lifestyle. Yeah. And I think for the Christian, a code isn't a return to the law, but uh, a return to seeing Jesus as not just Savior, but Lord, uh, the exemplar of the good life, of what life should be. And, uh, and then, of course, the people to belong to is a, a community of faith that that supports one another in love. I feel like the, um, I feel like this overarching narrative is really something that's true to all of us. Like we're built for, we're built for this. I feel like there is this, uh, something that you said earlier about being invited back into where we're supposed to be. Uh, and I, I would say back into the story of love. Um, it, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis's okay. uh, Chronicles of Narnia. All right. And the, uh, the the three 
protagonists uh, were, or the four rather protagonists, um, the the resolution to that story is them actually taking their place back in the story where they're supposed to be. And how does it end? Uh, yeah. It ends with them being they're crowned, the, right? They are the, the, the kings and queens of Narnia. And then, of course, C.S. Lewis kicks them back out to the real world. And uh, sometimes I don't think people pick up the fact that that's the whole point, is he brings them into this fantasy story so that the story can bring them back into the real-time story, the real story. But Aslan, who's a type of Christ, right. he's inviting them into his kingdom yeah. and to rule and reign yeah. with him. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people get worried about this because they feel like it's triumphalism or, you know, this notion that it's, it doesn't sound humble. Um, and I, I would just suggest that there's nothing more humble than taking your place that has been assigned you by Jesus. Um, and um, I mean, it's a different kingdom to be sure. Yeah. It, we, we go low to go high. We mm-hmm. serve, right? That's We're right. called to die to our what we think is our best life, mm-hmm. to, to really find our true life. Right. It's, it's based on love. It works on That's love. Right. Um, it, it's not, don't think of like a king from European history. That's right. That's right. As such, right? That's right. This is not a this is not a dictatorship. This yeah. is uh, I think you've used the word in the past, vice regent. Um, this is uh, you know use the Hebrew uh, illustration. We are God's living monuments. Um, the image of God is is literally a, a, a reference to monument a king would erect. So we are a, a living ambassador, vice regent, and it's a, it's a it's we're living into this uh, the story of love. That's what it makes us all to be. Um, that's why it's, it relates to all of us, young, old. I think it's really cool that, that Trinity gets to be involved with people who are still on the front sometimes of making decisions where they're going to go. But I think that decision is something we have to make every day. Uh, throughout the seasons of life, right? Throughout the seasons of life. Whether in the first quarter, second quarter, halftime, or the end of the game, right? We all have to make a decision to suit up and show up and get in the game and actually live into this Um, what it means to be fully human in the world. We'll come right back to the conversation with Trinity and Matt. Let's hear from N.T. Wright, world-renowned New Testament scholar, an amazing depth of understanding about kingdom theology. And you'll sense that as you hear from him, he's making the case that the good news, this royal pronouncement of a new king and a new reign is a quantum change. It's a public announcement that there's been a fundamental change. God is back as king on the planet. The world is different. Everyone is invited into this new world that's emerging and it's fundamentally restructuring and redesigning the world that begins in our born again spirit it begins to manifest itself in the people of god and ultimately at the coming of christ this is the good news about how god did the thing that he'd always promised to do and so the story of Je- the whole story of jesus not just the beginning and not just the end the whole story is about something shocking and startling which bursts upon uh, a world which was partly ready for it and mostly not ready for it in the first third of the first century in palestine so the whole idea of gospel is that this is a public announcement about something that has happened as a result of which the whole world is a different place and you 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 
everyone, but individually and corporately, is invited to discover that for themselves and to live within the new world that has thereby been created. And that's the good news. Something has happened by which the God who made the world has now fundamentally rescued the world from corruption and decay and everything else and has invited all human beings everywhere to look at Jesus, the central character in this story, and to find in him and through him the way in which that new world has come to pass and that they can be part of it. This new world is in Christ. That's what N.T. Wright is saying. We must be born again to see and enter into this new world, this kingdom, this new level of revelation of the kingdom in Christ. That's the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When he says that all of the quote-unquote evangelists have Jesus as king on the cross, he's referring to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. All the evangelists insist on this, that the words on the cross, are Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He's bringing the long story of Israel to its head. This is what it looks like when God becomes king. Pilate, really under the sovereignty of God, when they would nail the crime for which the criminal was executed on the cross, he had put their King of the Jews, really a touch of sovereignty and a prophetic declaration of what the death of Christ means and what it acquires for history. Where gospel was the good news that either Tiberius or Nero or somebody has become emperor. This is the good news. And for Paul, the good news is the Isaianic news, the news you get from Psalm 2 and so on, that actually the true God has become king in Jesus and that therefore all the other kingdoms of the world are relativized. So the gospel is good news of a new, true, ultimate emperor, a new king. And the Apostle Paul understands in the New Testament that the true God is now the true, ultimate king. And so really, we must reread the scriptures, marinate, soak deeply in the gospels, and in the Bible itself, repray, pray more deeply, rethink, have deeper thinking with deeper conversations with others, seeking and exploring and want to penetrate deeply into what the gospel really means, what the gospel is. It's the new reign of God. One theologian refers to it as the already, not yet, a famous phrase in theology. But the good news includes this kingdom dynamic. We are to live in light of the new heavens and the new earth beginning right now. Trinity, are you familiar with the Bible Project videos? Yes. Okay, you're probably... I love them. Do you? Okay, yeah. <laughs> they are so good, aren't they? Yes. They're substantive. They're just beautifully done, elegant, art- artistic. They've recently come out with one about good news mm-hmm. from the Greek. Um, have you seen that one yet? Yes. Is the Greek word euangelion? Am I right? Okay, which means good news. And we think in American evangelicalism, I think we've seen it very narrow that the good news is that you can be saved to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Your sins can be forgiven and you can avoid hell and go to heaven. But the, it, contextually, that actually was the pronouncement of a new king, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The good news of the gospel, if you will. Gospel means good news. The, the Greek word, um, mm-hmm. 
euangelion, or if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is a pronouncement. It's a royal decree that there's a new king. It was like celebratory. How does that speak to us today? I mean, do you think that, look, if you told college students that, look, the gospel is there's a new king in town. It's a superior kingdom. He's inviting you to rule and reign with him. That seems more compelling to me, to them. And you need to find your calling in that. Yeah, I think one of the big kind of roadblocks into getting even to that point is having people realize that uh, the way that they're living life already, they already have something that is a sort of king in their life. Um, And being able to identify what that is, is a first really big roadblock to even get over. Um, Before we can introduce uh, the thought of a new and better king to live under. The things that we do are continuously forming us and things that we have faith in. Um, We often think of these sorts of things as like super religious words of like having faith in something. I would argue that we all have faith in things. Uh, We just aren't always able to consciously understand what those things are right away. The first step, I would say, is to get them to understand that they have faith um, and the things that they are doing are forming them spiritually with the gospel, the good news that Jesus says, I'm a different king. Come live underneath me. Come love me, serve me. I will love and I will serve you. And we can figure this out together. Like I will form you spiritually um, and you just have to abide in me. And all that I have is yours. So there's been an interloper, you know, the adversary, Lucifer, the, the you know, the devil, uh, Satan, oh, different names for him. He has come and somehow he has uh, seized the reign, so to speak, on mm-hmm. earth from Adam and Eve. Would you would you agree with that, Matt? It seems that when Jesus encountered Satan in the wilderness and, 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 and Satan's telling Jesus, look, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. It's all been handed over to me that Jesus doesn't contest that point. Right. That it's all been handed over to him. You know, it's interesting. I feel like, um, you know, Satan's been a liar from the very beginning. So, um, but having said that, um, you know, John would even refer to him as the God of this world. He certainly, he certainly plays the part of chief dysfunctional ruler (laughs) on the planet. And, but I think the way that he does it is devious he encourages us to think that we're king. And his, he, he rules through this intoxicating message that we could be God. Okay, okay. Um, Sounds like Genesis probably, 3 here. Yeah, yeah. The only way to get, the only way for him to actually get accomplished what he's trying or has been trying to get accomplished is by remaining uh, sort of invisible to some degree behind the scenes tempting us to be, um, you know, the original, you know, the original story there, take and eat and you will be like God. I think um, that to me that, uh, as, as Trinity had said, uh, there is another king. And um, unfortunately, most of the time it's us. It's really him, but it makes it feel like it's us, right? Many, many most don't understand right. that there's a larger false king behind That's it. Right. There's no Switzerland in uh, in the kingdoms of God. No there's either kingdom country. of man yeah. or the kingdom of, or a competitive kingdom, you might call it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and the kingdom of God. There is no neutrality. There is no. And N.T. Wright talked about. He talks yeah. about that, doesn't he? The competitive he king. A rise of a competitive kingdom, um, and that's really you see that from Genesis three and on. 
I mean, look at look at uh, the Tower of Babel. A good a good point. And I I think I've shared this in the past. Like Marvin the Martian, he's always showing up in the cartoons, sticking the flag in the ground, yeah. claiming this in the name of Mars. Right? That's that's the story of humanity over and over again. At one point, we tried to create this giant ziggurat that was uh, basically saying reclaim this place in the name of a man. Yeah. And uh, I would suggest that we do that every. We we start there. That's our that's our place of that's where we begin. And we have to surrender our place. And I think that's where actually the uh, We the sort gospel, of come out of the womb with that flag in our sure hand, do. don't we? I mean, right? the gospel <laughs> Plus is... Plus the need to be born again. That's right. The gospel is way more than sin management. <laughs> okay. But it's not less than dealing with the idolatrous heart that we have. We have to, we have to be balanced and holistic when we present the gospel because the reality is the king that has to die is us if you if you give your life i will raise it up again Uh, we have to take our cross and follow him all this language of dying to self and raising to the uh raising to, to newness of life is this i believe it's this theological and symbolic act of saying okay i get it you're in control and you're not just my savior you're my king. Yeah, Trinity. I mean, it seems like when babies come out of the womb, they're so beautiful. And but it, it, it doesn't take all that long. Around, I don't know, one or two years old. It's like, man, you look like Marvin the Martian a lot to me. <laughs> you, you're, you're you're planting your flag in our family here, yeah. and you think you're king, right? Well, I, I think mean, that <laughs> comes out of like the inherent story, like that proves and points to the inherent story that we're supposed to be, and like we're supposed to be kings and queens. That's right. And co-rulers. Good. That's good. Um. But the way we're doing it is just terrible. <laughs> like In a selfish way, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like we're supposed to want that. Like that is a good desire to have, to rule and to have dominion over things and to steward the things that we do have control over. Uh, the way we just do it, if we do it in our own power, is just creates more chaos. Yeah, it's an excellent point. I mean, God is sovereign. He is king. And the Jews had this expectation that the king was going to come back. And Yuanga Leon in the Greek again, the, the good news of the gospel is that the king is back. Mm-hmm. God as king is back. But we are to exercise dominion, right? As vice regents, we like to use mm-hmm. that phrase. A vice regent, if you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, it's one who administers the kingdom on behalf of another. Mm-hmm. We rule and reign with Christ under him. Yeah. And, and we can make a mistake Either way, we can think that we're king or we can be so passive that we don't even think we're a vice regent and we're just some sort of pathetic religious person that's abdicating our vice regency, if you will. Would that be attractive to college students? Is it attractive to adults today that, look, Jesus is inviting you back into that, that vice regency? Yeah, I think I think that's a super compelling story to tell uh, versus say this, do this go to heaven when you're dead. Um, It's more of an invitation into the story of here, uh, here are your desires. They are good and they are honoring to God. Now just do it in a way and act upon those in a way where uh, you're not so selfish and prideful and uh, so caught up in who you want to be using your gifts and your desires and your talents in an a way and a fashion to bring more glory and order and abundance to the world, uh, to making the world a better place now, here, 
like here in the 21st century in Ohio, like you can do that. That's a good call out phrase right there. You just said, I mean, you're, you're using who you are, your gifts to make the world a better place to cultivate the garden as it were. It could be medicine. It could be psychology. It could be engineering. It could be writing. It could be the arts. It could be government drawing out the latent potential and, and really I would like to suggest, Matt, living in the light of the new heavens and the new earth, which are to come now, sort of starting to taste those powers, as Hebrews Mm -hmm. says. That's right. Tasting the powers of the age to come. Perfect justice. Yeah. Perfect righteousness then, right? That's right. Perfect order, but tasting it now. Eschatology has always been a magnet, man. It it always has drawn communities and people in the direction that they should go, right? Uh, It's it's still a now but not yet reality, so our cultivation is still going to have weeds in it but it's not this escapism of the modern uh the modern period who got a little disappointed because god didn't show up to stop hitler and god didn't show up to stop all these people um you know if your if your eschatology uh doesn't account for jesus fixing it all <laughs> ultimately and fixing it yeah, at the, the end, restoration of all things the yeah. phrase that he used um we had this disillusionment that that is created and and um, but if we're able to say but it's just as the opposite we're also not just saying come to faith and then go to heaven we're also saying start now uh the war has been won as c.s lewis would say now you're on uh, enemy occupied territory winning it back for the king this ongoing process sort of, of enforcing his yeah. victory right or, yeah. or, or uh, applying it or administering it you think of like a justice issue let's let's talk yep. about a big justice issue like human trafficking mm-hmm. okay if we're going to live in the light of the new heavens and in the new earth in which there is no human trafficking mm-hmm. right there is perfect relational wholeness and mm-hmm. safety and potential many of us would be called to run to that edge and fight on that edge right yeah. now yeah absolutely yeah. Absolutely. It's sort of an ancient future faith, right? So we have this um, uh, Genesis account that tells us of, of the ideals. We have a promise of eternity that's pulling us into the future. Mm-hmm. We have an exemplar in Christ. Right. We have a code to follow. Okay. He's like, get to it, right? This isn't supposed to, like racism. It's not supposed to be here. Uh, racism is an interesting one. Okay. I don't mean to change metaphors. Uh, no, no, that's, that's, um, these metaphors. are all justice issues or righteousness yeah. issues. Of yeah. which the kingdom will ultimately solve That's when right. it comes in its fullness. But That's right. we're saying that it's on right now. We are that's to right. live in the light of that now. And that's, that's, you can see that take place in the first century. Um, because the kingdom of God started, uh, started to unfold in the first century in a, uh, a slave and master society. It was the norm. And so when people first came to faith, they had a hand on, on this idea of slavery and racism and all of those things, and a hand on the gospel. Interestingly, by the time Paul is toward the end of his career, he's given examples, he's given uh, advice, he's given encouragement to masters and servants. But at the end of his career, uh, he writes this little letter of Philemon. Okay. And he meets a guy by the name of Miss Onesimus, yeah. who is uh, who's a runaway servant or slave. Yeah. Sends him back to Philemon. Right. And tells him, you do not receive him as a slave. You receive him as a brother in Christ. Right. So for Paul, the eschatological future doesn't have slave and master in it. 
it was even, already it was already shifting by that's that point. Right. And so the, the eschatology, the narrative was pulling him into God's preferred future. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And um, that we have to do Jesus the same. dream. Yeah. Yeah. We have to do the same with all of that stuff. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, slavery has been a massive problem throughout sure. world history, and it still is today. Yeah. If, if you look at American history, we had people who were advocates of slavery who were using the Bible to do so. Absolutely. But eventually, thankfully, yep. that was confronted, Absolutely. resolved. Even the theology was, you know, with right. many, many people was changed. Jubilee, right? I mean, God is about freedom. This is a great kingdom conversation with Trinity and Matt. I'm looking forward to continuing with it. There will be a second part to this dialogue that we had in the coffee shop. I love it when we get into a flow state, when the kingdom synergy starts happening in conversation. And together, we have more of the mind of Christ. We'll have another input from N.T. Wright in that episode next week. So I encourage you to come back. On the show notes page, we are going to have resources that are mentioned in this conversation, help you to drill deeper if you want to go further with it. So to learn more about the podcast, go to JesusSmart.com and see the show notes page for this episode. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's now on iHeartRadio and Spotify. You just go straight to your iHeartRadio app or your Spotify app and search for Jesus Smart, the podcast. You can subscribe to it so it's easy to find when you go back to your app. And you can even set it up where it will give you notifications when new episodes drop. There's also an opportunity when you go to the show notes page to sign up for an e-letter, which which goes out near weekly. What we try to do there is curate and bring together next level ideas and insights to further develop as a Christ follower and an apprentice of his kingdom. This thing's way bigger than you think, my friend. There's much more on the table than we know. Let's uh, ask the Lord for revelation and insight and begin to really get into the Word, begin to pray, begin to talk with others, and let's go further than we thought was possible with this uh, following Jesus thing, okay? Jesus is brilliant. He knows how life works best. Beyond that, as we've said, He's Lord, He's Caesar Christ, He's King of all. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you.